Preston, what's up, man? How are you? How's it going? I'm well. How are you, Mark? I'm doing. I'm doing well. I heard that it's finally started to cool off a little in Austin over the last yeah over the last week. Yeah, that two or three month run of over 100 degree temperature, actually over 105, stopped. I think a couple wow. days ago, and it rained for the first time yesterday. So big days. That's insane. Wow. Yeah, we we have uh, some family. Some of my cousins live in Austin. They've been out here this last this week in Southern California. Just beating the heat and they said it's been brutal so they're really excited to hear that those temps have dropped a little oh it's been so nice it's been brutal yeah well this is the this is kind of the prime time of the year right i mean it's like really spring and fall for you guys it's when the weather gets really good right yeah we're basically you guys but with a little bit more rain so nice and cool nobody shuts windows it's nice to have your ac running 30 hours a day for sure for sure well, that's awesome, man. Well, I'm really excited to, to get to chat with you today and get to talk a little bit about your background, some of the cool things you get, you're doing at Awkward. But uh, as Preston, let's hear a little background on on you and like, what are you doing right now? And and uh, yeah. You know, I think a lot of people never really think that they're going to be in operations and then you just kind of wind up in it. And so that was kind of my journey financial planner out of college. I went to oil and gas for a really long time. Um, I got lucky enough to trick someone into hiring me for a position I was way underqualified for. And so I got to run Asia Pacific out of Singapore for a division of the company. Um, And so I had two kids out there, it was really great. But really what I learned out there is I like autonomy. My boss sat in Dubai and so I didn't have anyone and I got to learn the hard way by getting things wrong. and really it was great I come from that company was a $24 billion company when I was in Houston. And for me, it was a $14 million P and L with some satellite P and L's that I managed. And I got to see an opportunity and pounce on it. I got to see problems and address them really quickly, as opposed to being in this big siloed organization where it was a pissing match every time you wanted to do something. And so I got used to that and I really liked it. I learned a lot. I, I think I failed accounting twice in college and then I'm managing a P&L and I remembered all the lessons that I tried not to remember and pay attention to in, in class. And so now I was running a, a big P&L, a big cash flow um, for basically Asia Pacific because everything was routed out of us from a currency perspective for USD. Um, and then, yeah, so we had two kids out there and the thought of getting on another flight for 24 hours with a a three-year-old and 18-month-old maybe want to pull my toenails out. I can't even imagine. Yeah. It's brutal. Um, a metal tube with a, with a thing that you, a tiny human that you can't really explain why their ears hurt or why they can't get up or why they're bored. Oh, it's awful. It's terrible. And did you guys have kids out there or did you have kids and then you, you took that, that gig in Asia? No, both of them were born out there. In fact, when my wife uh, came out to do the house finding trip with me, she came back home, we were there for five, six days or something. I stayed, she came back home, called me like 12 hours after landing to tell me that she was pregnant. And so, and then she stayed in Houston for like five months, six months, and then came back out to meet me very pregnant. And so, yeah, both of them were born out there. That's awesome. I'm sure that's its its own story and journey, just raising young kids abroad, right? Yeah, it's a trip. We've got kind of a family that we built out there with other people that are doing the same thing. 
So what happened next? You you were doing that for a while and then you ended up getting a new gig and moved back to the States? Yeah, I kind of figured, so again, the whole not flying again with children, um, but also I kind of figured that oil and gas is sunsetting. I was third generation oil and gas, I was born overseas. My grandfather died overseas in oil and gas and my, my dad was still traveling around a ton. And so um, found something, we basically set a list of cities that we wanted to move to. A solar gig came up in Austin and it was sold to me as a startup that had been around for 14 years. Um, and so I just pounced on it. It was a fantastic uh, opportunity. Ran manufacturing and operations and supply chain for really out of the Philippines, Mexicali, and then distribution out of Southern California. Long story short, big company, big silo company. It was a, I mean, for example, it was a, I think it was a six month argument for, um, for me to get something like $21 million of inventory that no one knew that we had liquidated so we could just free up cash. I just thought that that was an easy layup. And I mean, it was, a, it was such a fight just to do that. Um, so I got frustrated with that. I was again dealing, I had a team, I had teams in the Philippines and teams in Mexico and I was on like a, a nine or 10 PM call and just frustrated and found, um, an opportunity for a really small massage tool startup. Um, small comparatively speaking, right? In D2C world, this, this is actually a pretty big startup, but got the opportunity to run global operations for them and never looked back. And so that was my first foray into, into D2C, CPG, e-com, um, true, true e-com. Um, and that was really fun. That company organically grew. She was a master of social media in the prime of social media and um, Facebook ads. Um, got lucky enough to have her massage tool featured on keeping up the Kardashians and it just blew up. Oh, that's awesome. So it went from no millions to like 75 million, um, in, in a heartbeat. Wow. And so, yeah, that was, that was really, really fun. And it was all like a super small team. I think when I came in, I was the second non-family member hired. Um, and so, I mean, it was, it was a wonderful learning experience, not knowing anything about marketing, not knowing anything about how you fill the funnel, um, but really knowing the fulfillment side of it and even getting more refined on that in the manufacturing side of it. So it was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, as as it goes with uh, with founders and, and startups, um, got, got a little too big too fast. And um, so we decided to part ways, um, found a snack company that I was just absolutely passionate about. We, it was really interesting because that was like, there was a snack company that our primary customers were basically unicorns in the startup world. And so it was like Stripe, Jewel at the time, um, Uber, Lyft, everybody. And so we, we provided all their snacks and, um, and their, and their service of the machines. That was really fun. That was another one that just went, I think I was employee number 80. And within six or 10 months, I think there was like 600 of us. Wow. Um, and we expanded. I think I launched like two or three new locations in that time. And then like everybody else, COVID, we had to pivot really quick. I think our revenue was down within 10 days of COVID um, by like 95%. And so because of my DTC experience, we pushed the DTC model to get those snacks, basically the boxed snacks. Everyone did it at the same time. I can't say that we innovated it, but we started pushing those out immediately to the tune of thousands of orders a week or sorry, a month. Um, but it was, it was just a trip. And so, 
Um, but yeah, went to a logistic, ran a 3PL for a while. Um, that all that stuff got outsourced to this 3PL. That was an interesting thing. Um, started picking up a bunch of e-commerce companies because e-commerce blew up during COVID as well. Not so good for snacks in office, but excellent for D2C. And so we just went gangbusters. Um, but I was traveling a ton. I was gone two, three weeks a month. And um, the status was great, but just gone constantly with little kids. It was just too much. Why were you traveling so much? Was it was it just sales opportunity, like being on the road selling or what? No, it was more so operational stuff. So I ran the supply chain. I ran onboarding new customers um, and then getting new facilities up and running. So identifying these facilities, making sure they're right for the customers um, and then launching the new facilities, taking a lot of the folks that were in that logistics company were all former Amazonians or Starbucks people. And so we could we could turnkey a facility a new facility in a new state in three weeks, four weeks, wow. um, from nothing to functional facility. Um, and so we did that and then set up the distribution, made sure all the, all the APIs were set up properly between our proprietary system. And then typically their Shopify or something of that nature. Yeah. Um, and then just started churning out orders. We launched a, a company very similar to, um, uh, very similar to favor or Instacart or anything like that. It's called Reef, and so we helped them launch a bunch of different facilities. I think I think we had twelve or ten or twelve or something like that. So it was last mile stuff. It was really interesting. Yeah, um, learning that that side of the business. So wow, very cool. And so you did that for a while, and then you ended up. Tell us, like, how did you end up that awkward? And like, uh, where where are you at with it now? Yeah. So same sort of thing as traveling a ton. Really frustrated. I really prioritize uh, my family and just being gone 50 to 75% of the month was too much. Um, found the listing, the job opening for the CEO role for awkward started digging into it. And I was, I was hooked. I've joked several times. I was either going to get this job or a restraining order. Um, and so it really resonated with me. My wife is really open. She's way smarter than I am. And she wanted to be a sexual psychologist through school. Um, and so she's always been really open about her body, our relationship and how all that stuff works. Cause I'm a Neanderthal and I just had no idea, um, when I, before I met her. And so the, the hero product from awkward lovingly called the cum sponge just really resonated with me. Um, and so the job was posted by RBC, started interviewing with them. They're the guys that, um, started big ass fans and sold it and then finally met the founder. And anyone knows from talking to founders, like you have brilliant people sometimes understand that it takes a good team to run a business and sometimes don't. Um, she was one of the few that really understands how, how to build a company and where her strengths were and where her strengths are not. And then relying on the people to fill in the gaps, so to speak. So, I mean, that was it. I was done. Been here for a little over two years. We grew, um, in the time that I've been here, we've grown basically eight X. And so launched Amazon, launched retail in January of this year, we basically had zero retail doors. Now we have something like 2,700. Wow. Um, and so it's been growing really like everybody else, prioritizing profitability, trying not to do the raise game right now, the worst time to raise. For sure. Or the, or the just to grow to just grow with zero contribution margin at the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like the, I mean, I, I jokingly call it a Ponzi scheme. I don't like raising just to pay off debt yeah. um, or to or to raise for a runway. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't like diluting anybody for that. I'd rather just get what we can, 
if we have to raise again, maybe a, a decent Series A just to get us past sprint past everything else and not have to raise again. And that would really be for like product innovation, um, and then you know really anything about expanding the product catalog, and then obviously the campaigns around it. Absolutely, that's cool. I'm I'm curious with all those with all that retail you're in right now. Do you get are you in a few big box that are that are just well distributed? What's your what's your one of your biggest retailers that someone could buy the product at right now? CVS, um, CVS for sure is the biggest one. Um, Spencer's, a lot of adult stores for obvious reasons. Um, at CVS, we've got about two thousand doors um, spread all over. I was I was just gonna say real fast. Was it was it challenging to get into CVS being like a, let's call it more of a sexual wellness counterculture type of product? So it's it's really interesting you bring that up. No, well, I mean, it was really time consuming. I think it was like an eighteen month conversation. We started in dot com, um, and we didn't want to go the pay to play route to get on shelves. And so we just started on dot com on, on the shelves. It was really easy to start the conversation for us because the buyer who we love came to us because of some, or I think it was organic TikTok that she found. Um, our social media game is really great. I mean, just because of the nature of the product, it really bodes well for people stopping while they're scrolling. And so at the time, I think we had, geez, I don't know, maybe 30 million views on a few different videos. And I think just under 300,000 followers. And so something, she found something, she reached out to us and she had just done that as I came aboard. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, it was great. It's, it's tricky. CBS is really tricky because you can't, they really throttle the campaigns that you're allowed to do. Everything has to be approved through them. They don't want any, uh, I guess, fluffing of the sales. And so really you're, you're limited to what you can do with them. And it's not a bad thing per se, but it just constricts how you approach, um, getting velocities. Out. Oh, totally. We've had a couple of clients, you know, specifically one, one in the CBD space that we worked with and it's, it's not the highs and the lows with, with big box like CVS and Rite Aid, just staying on the shelves, keeping it consistent. But at the end of the day, like I always say, when people are like, how do I get into big box? I'm like. Well, you have a really good product and the, and the, uh, the buyers contact you. That's really it. We took that as a, almost like a, a campaign, um, or an approach. And so we're very strategic on who we want to go, uh, on the shelves with, and we're very strategic about the supply chain. We're very, very knowledgeable of the supply chain. We don't want to be negatively impacted and just kill our relationship immediately. And so if there's any retailers that we were thinking about, we would specifically target them on social media. And so we'd start to find the buyers, we'd at them. I mean, it was like a, just a full, full on, full on. Uh, Almost campaign. like an SDR approach for, for sales, right? Yeah. It's like identify them, build the profiles and start. Yeah. That's cool. Just, just to get on the radar just kind of poke and prod and that whole touch, touch, touch type thing. And I'm curious with, with all that, with all you're doing on that front is would you say D to C is still primary focus? Is it is is wholesale or is it a is it really they have their own initiatives and their own teams that are that are still growing in? Like I said, there's there's only four of us, so there's no specific team for a specific channel. Um, so it's really so we use the D to C thing to test our to test our campaigns. How we're so the educational component of it. Do we resonate with people? Do people understand what our hero product and our subsequent products that we launched since then 
are for and what the value of them is. And um, because of the nature, you asked about the countercultural sexual wellness thing. It depends on how you look at it, who you're listening to. CVS, per se, like I said, our buyer is fantastic. She is fantastic. She's since been promoted. But um, the sexual wellness thing is really big for them. They sell, I've asked her one day, um, they sell millions upon millions of dollars of just sexual sex toys, which surprised me from CBS. Um, and so you have this on social media, you have this sexual revolution where people are really open and free. But what we're finding is it's not, that's the voice of a few, a very loud voice of a few and not the majority. And so from an educational perspective, um, again, I'm a guy and an idiot, but from an educational perspective, what we've seen is that, um, and we're founded by a female. So like, I'm not the one that come up with the products and just make, make sure they get out and we do it as, as profitability, profitable as possible. Um, we find that there's a huge percentage of women that don't really understand their bodies. Um, and so getting them to understand what our product is and isn't is tricky and letting them know that we're not for everybody. It's fine if you don't use us, we don't care. Um, we just want people to be happy and healthy. Um, but yeah, that educational component is really tricky. And so we use the DTC channels to test that so that we can, when we dial in our next um, target for a retail perspective, we know exactly how to market what the box should say um, as, as we're evolving. And so, I mean, it, and that's been I've, a little over two years here, and that has been a constant test. Just constantly figuring out the creative, constantly figuring out the text, just everything. I mean, that's really smart. I really haven't heard like many brands say that you're using DDC to essentially validate messaging, validate talking points. And so when it comes to, especially your product that needs that education, when it comes to the small space you have on a shelf, when it comes to your packaging, to know the words you're using and the images you're using, the colors you're using are all going to validate someone being able to understand what the product is and actually purchase it. People talk about like the hook and creative or just trying to get someone's attention on, on social media. Like, but, but you got to think about it. You've got however many social media platforms you can be hitting, um, how many times you can be touching them from different angles. You've got words, like literally verbal words that you can be using on a video and to be changing things up, whether it be um, whether it be just, just text and imagery or whether it be an actual video itself on a store, you have in our case, a seven by three inch face of a box. That's how you're going to get that person's attention. And so nothing's moving. Maybe if you're lucky, you have an end cap. And so like, it's just a completely different game. You have to have that piece dialed in because you can't, no one's standing there going, Hey, you should try our. P funnels if you're a festival goer, or you should try our our drip stick if you have if you don't like the next day drips if you don't like time bombs like there's no one there doing that and the employees don't care. Yeah, it's a, it's and it's a new. I mean, they probably employees probably have no idea. I mean, they're probably like unless they've been asked about it before, probably not. Don't have proper education, and also it's not like you guys are like uh, a whale and selling a men's razor. A uh, men's like you know, clippers where it's like, I need to go into CVS because I have a beard and I need to shave. It's not like that at all. Or a cell phone case or, you know, shower gel. You guys are your own category. And we've done weird things. Like we pixelate, we have, um, after sex cleanup on the box. And so we'll pixelate the sex 
word sex just to try and grab somebody's attention towards like cops but you can still sort of see like if you're watching you know someone a criminal blurt out or something but you can still sort of see what it yep, is you can still see it a little and so we've toyed yeah. with that quite a bit um amazon amazon's a really good one to test retail because like amazon's so conservative our amazon store launched it as a as a protective thing more than anything and just a brand awareness i mean it's hard to ignore the largest marketplace on earth um and plus you have such a such a driven buyer there. They're going there to buy, not necessarily shop. And so same thing, Amazon's so restrictive, like even the word sex in an image on a box will get us pulled down. And so like, same thing, we have to mess with that to see how to make it attention grabbing that we are blurring out or sort of painting through the word sex, but also com uh, comply with Amazon. Very interesting. I'm curious too, on um, when it comes to like the education and like ongoing, like, you know, retention and relationship management you have with the existing B2C customers. Do you guys find that the sex content is highly consumed? The reason I bring this up is we worked with uh, Woo More Play and this was early on. Yeah, we love Woo Yeah, when Woo More Play just had their, their wipes and we helped them launch a couple of their products out of that. But it was wild how much the email and the SMS list consumed like sex content. Like when we talk about like articles, like it's, we, we essentially took the, because you know, they had this evergreen product and we were like, well, we can't just product, 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 product all the time. But we took the idea of like all of the women's magazines that you see on end caps at grocery stores. And it's like top five things about this sex or this sex and this sex. We took those concepts and it was the most heavily consumed, highest open rate, highest CTRs we've seen across any client we've ever worked with. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. So we have a fairly large email list for, for our general size. Um, and I have people, both in my network, my professional network and my personal network that subscribe to our emails and use them. So like my, my functional medicine doctor uses them to help educate his, his patients, but also uses them for his own emailing. Um, our open rate, like on a bad day, is 40%. Um, and typically we're north of 50%. And it, it's it, it's typically the most, the more salacious stuff that gets the open rate just through the roof. What's really interesting though, is the number of people that are actually customers on there that have bought from us before and so, um, for example, we had, uh, our founder did a, a request to help. Like we we're, there was a particular doctor that doesn't really like us that much for whatever reason. And so we reached out to our customer base, like, Hey, we're seeing this. Is there anything you guys know? Um, can you, can you help? And we got, I think she got a hundred responses back and out of those hundred people, individual people. Uh, just in the first like few hours out of those people i think one of them had bought from us before learning that like where our list is really high and our engagement is really high um open click ctrs are really really high comparatively speaking and we do generate revenue it's just it's not what you would think it would be and so a lot of people are subscribing and staying subscribed to the entertainment factor and so it's trying to figure out like how do we are we not providing a product that that they need? Are we not providing enough education around the product? Or, I mean, it's just trying to dial that in as well. 
but every time we release an email, we get, you know, pretty, pretty decent bump in sales. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing to consider too, like what you guys could actually do to potentially like, it's a whole different, different business model, but essentially monetize that list by working with other brands as well on affiliate or CPA basis, you know, or, or just full over sponsorship. Yeah. We've done, we've done that in the past. Um, we did it to where we had our, obviously like we know, we know Woo. Um, we're working with yeah. something with them right now. Um, and we've got some other partners, just our, our founders, friend, Francis's friends, um, just in the same space. We partnered up with them to like craft promotional stuff and that, that does well. It, it's just, it's just tricky. Sometimes they're not the same people, um, the same audience. It's really interesting. We did, we did something with, um, Hey Favor. They used to be the pill club and we, they were basically D to C, um, birth control and not necessarily the same thing, but sort of the same thing. We, um, we put samples in all their boxes and it was like, a, I think it was 160,000 samples went out to customers, like 160,000 customers. I think we saw, I mean, almost nothing in sales from it. And just because it didn't resonate and it didn't like, there was not enough education around it and it surprised people from our customer service side, which, which I run as well. We were in there and you would see the tickets like, what is this? How do I use it? It's reusable. And it's just like, and you realize like, okay, that didn't work. So we need this, you talk about branding and packaging. So it's the same thing, like maybe not the right audience. Maybe we didn't educate enough. Maybe it didn't have the right materials with it. And so it's the same thing when we're cross pollinating with our friends, like making sure that they understand what these other products are. And then their, their list as we're going into their list, making sure they understand what our products are and whether they play nicely together or they help different products or problems. So it's a constant evolution. People talk about how, you know, we have too much competition. It's the market saturated. Like, I don't know from the outside looking in, I look at stuff like that, knowing what we know now, I'm like, that is such an easier game. There's so many things that you can learn from, you know, if it's two other people out there, what they're doing wrong and what they're doing right and take advantage of that. Whereas we're completely paving it. Yeah. Absolutely. First, if it's just you <laughs> and you've got to, if you want to test something, you have to spend the money to test it and see if it works. Yeah. And we spent a lot of money um, and not necessarily um, well. I mean, it's just, I mean, not to say well, but we've spent things and just tested things. It just didn't work. I mean, period. 80% of, uh, you know, I have a mentor that always says this to me is like 80% of the ads you launch will fail. Only 20%, yeah. at least 20% will work. Yeah. I think that we're, we're probably like 90%, 95%. Yeah. There's restrictions. There's sometimes people call us. Yeah, absolutely. Compliance, compliance, especially with, with on the paid front. I'm sure it's like, you guys got to be crafty with every word, every creative that comes through in the, you know, like I call it the sexual wellness counterculture space. It's not as straightforward is just saying what it is. Yeah. And I, you know, as people are, again, back to what I was saying about, you know, the, the big voice about sexual liberties and freedoms, I, it seems from our perspective is that it's just the few people making a lot of noise. Whereas even the social media platforms or even just any sort of channels are saying like, it seems that they're getting more and more open and liberal with the terms you can use. But then like Amazon, for example, we used to say after sex cleanup on our, on our listing, on our title, well, that got blocked. 
And so we changed it to post coitus, which is like the dumbest. I mean, it's not super fun. It's not in our brand, but if you look up a the other things to say through a thesaurus, there's not many words. And I was in there last week and coitus is getting hit now. And it's just like, how you're literally constricting the things that I can do as you're saying that you're more and more open. Yeah. And then it comes to, well, for sure. Then it maybe is like, well, maybe does post sexy time work? You know, they don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you play around with certain words? And it's an algorithm that's going to tell you yes or no. It's, it's not straightforward. Like you get a Bible and, uh, and a book to follow compliance regulations with Amazon when you're working with them. It's like whatever they want it is, or it isn't same with Facebook. Yeah. They just have a beginner bonnet. Yeah. Yeah. So what's, uh, what's the game plan for the future with you guys? Is it, is it more of like a product roadmap release? Like where do you, where do you guys seeing kind of go from where you're at right now? What would you guys like to see awkward look like in another like two years? Um, so we just finally hired uh, a head of marketing that's talented, smart, and just really good at what she does after failing a few times. And so we're finding what we have right now is the short term product catalog and innovation are probably in the longer term. And then with her in place and the team around her setting up the campaigns to, to have those products go out, um, and be successful in their launches. And so for sure, definitely some innovation around the current dripstick that we have and maybe mainstream and then complementary products that are in the same space physically, um, that, that our customers are asking for. And so really dialing in our customer a little bit more, dialing in the market a little bit more, again, the creative, and then expanding the product catalog, sort of the next three to, you know, 18 months, I, 18 months is like a guess, right? Like you have these best laid plans and then something happens and it's a little bit different, but consumer confidence shifts, something happens in the market. Yeah. Yeah. COVID. <laughs> yeah, COVID. I mean, that's that's the great example. Hopefully, we don't see anything like that again ever. But like, yeah. I mean, that's a great example. Like, you just never know what's going to happen. Like, nobody saw in February of, of twenty that in March everything was going to go to shit. Yeah, I I know I know exactly what you mean. I mean, we you know just on the on the agency side in our business, like we opened an office in uh, in Europe two weeks two and a half weeks before COVID started, and like opened an office and hired a whole team had not even been out there yet. Just being like, all right, we've been doing this remotely. We're going to work on it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, did we just make a huge mistake? Like we just expanded our team. <laughs> I haven't even met them yet. And I can't even go over there now. I was yeah. like planning to go out there. Like this was in late February, beginning of March. I was planning to go out there like, oh, I'll be out there in like 60 days. And then I couldn't travel. <laughs> was like, did we make a, and then coincidentally, our market had the, you know, we were, we were grateful to be in a situation where, you know, obviously we, we, we grew significantly because everyone went online, but, uh, I, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's crazy how the, the world and, uh, the universe throws you darts. Yeah. Just as you start to get comfortable, something happens. I don't necessarily like resting in my laurels, but there's that weirdness in there that I'm a, I'm a big player and a forecaster, but I'm also realistic where. The next three months I want to have dialed in six months. I want to be sort of close 12, 18 months. Let's have some sort of outline um, and then refine it as we get closer.
Yeah, totally. And especially when you're a small team, like those 90 day sprints quarter to quarter are actually more important than like, where are you going to be in two to three years? Because it's, it's, it's the work in the, in the, the milestones that you hit earlier on that are going to have the bigger impact overall. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, cool, man. Well, Hey, besides, besides work and all, like, what do you, what do you like to do for fun? What do you, what are you doing on the weekends? You said you're a family man, but uh, what else are you new? So we have uh, a 10 and eight year old. And so we're busy with them a lot in sports. And I was just talking to my wife. I think it's five or six days a week we're in sports, daughters in softball, sons in baseball, and then yeah. the school around all that. So that dominates a lot of our lives. But um, my wife and I love to travel. We love to eat. Um, and she likes that I cook. So um, planning some trips coming up is going to be really nice. As, as we all know, the startup world is stressful, so you have to figure out some sort of therapeutic thing. So I've been in jiu-jitsu for the better part of nine years, and so I beat the crap out of myself a couple times a week, and I just feel better about that's life. That's awesome. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it. Like, running running a startup and then having a family, there's not much time for anything else. I've got a few hobbies that I'll slip in some time oh, totally. here and there, and that's about it. That's awesome, Preston. I love it, dude. What about you? Uh, me, I love... Uh, to do like everything on the water. So a lot of like really niche, like I, I'm a big spear fisherman. I love to spearfish. Oh, wow. So it's, I race sailboats too. So I've been like, I've been boating. I bought my first boat when I was 14, 13, 14 years old. And, uh, and after college, like it really got out of hand. <laughs> Just like my best friend and I bought like our first sailboat, our first like big sailboat for like three grand, fixed it up flip that, you know, ended up selling that for like five times more than we bought it for. Then we you like traded some cash financed part of it ourselves, got a motorcycle type of deal, then bought a bigger boat, then a bigger boat. And now we have a, a 52 foot Genoa Sunfast, like a ocean cruiser racer. And then we just dialed that and repowered it. And honestly, I'm so busy now that we're actually getting ready to sell it because, uh, I just don't have as much time as I used to. And I used to, you know, live five minutes from the marina and be able to go down there on the weekend, work on it, wrench on it. And now it's like, I've got, you know, friends that have boats too. And honestly, I, I want to double down, make a lot more money and, uh, and buy a real big boat one day. So I'm out on the, all the water all the time, surfing in the, in this, in the winter, uh, sailing, sailing a lot year round, surfing and, uh, skiing. So those are my sports. Yeah. Not far off of you grew up yeah. on the coast. And so boating a lot, I think I was the, the, the designated captain at the age of nine, um, for us on the coast. And then there's a big lake right here. I'm sure your family and friends talk about it, but it's so, it's so dry now that it's really hard to really navigate. Like Travis. Most of the ramps are closed. Yeah. Like Travis. Yeah. Yeah. I heard you guys have been, uh, you guys have been in a drought. One of my, one of my best friends, he lives and uh, he lives on Lake Travis, like has a beautiful house. And, and luckily he's, he's probably not far from me. We're pretty oh, close. Oh, cool. Yeah. He's uh, what is he's on the North side of the lake, a little town. I can't oh, remember the name of it. Larga Vista or something. I forgot the exact name of it, but um, anyways, like he's luckily he's on a deep, he's, he's like on a cliff side. So he's got, it's pretty deep. So his dock isn't really affected from what other people are in the area. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. We sold our boat just in the nick of time. Um, we sold it, I think a month or two months ago. And it was just like one of those, we got really lucky and sold it when we did. 
Um, it's the same thing. Like, want a want a bigger boat? Like, immediately yep. make some make some capital because like I grew up on a boat. I grew up doing that stuff. I want my kids to learn how to surf because like I grew up on the coast. I learned how to actual surf. Where did you Where did you grow up? Um, Galveston. So I'm from Houston, but we spent a lot of time in Galveston. Yeah, Galveston's great. Yeah. Yeah, terrible surf comparatively speaking, but it was enough to push us around and let us call ourselves surfers. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, and you guys are still not far. Was it like two and a half hours, three hours from from Austin? From Houston, it was two and a half hours. For us in Austin, the port, the closest beach is about four and a half, five hours. Oh, okay. Yeah, because we're pretty inland. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm. It's like I'm at that point in my life where. I can sacrifice a little bit more. I don't, I'm time poor right now. And I, and I want to make sure that I can have some fun toys again in the future. Yeah. You got, you can't just work the whole time. You got to have fun too. And Absolutely. create those memories Absolutely. for everyone around you. Totally. I think, you know, when you like, I, I can't wait to have kids one day and just know what it's going to be like to let them spear their first fish or, you know, take them on these like insane trips that my buddies and I go on to the Bahamas or, to the local islands off of Southern California. So it should be fun. How long can you hold your breath for? Uh, so I can do a static breath hold in pool for over four minutes. <sighs> and That's when crazy. I, when nice. I say that, um, anyone, like if you, if you, if you trained for it, like if you went through a, a PFI level one free diving course, you could do it too. Um, I'm actually going to, I'm, I'm planning to take the level two course. I haven't taken it yet. Uh, I took the level one like seven, eight years ago, but, uh, the level two, like they'll get you up to like five, five and a half minutes static breath hold. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those, I'm fascinated it's, with that yeah, stuff it's, on it's one of those things where us as human beings, like you don't realize that we can hold our breath for four minutes. It's just all my, it's just all in your head. You know, we, we don't need like any human being can hold their breath for four minutes. It's just that, but it comes different when you're, when you're diving and you're going deep and depends on how deep you're going, how much weight you have on your wetsuit, the, the ocean temp, and also you're hunting when you're spearfishing, you're hunting. So it's like, there's a level of excitement that you have to really calm yourself down. So usually my dives are like anywhere from, you know, 30, 30 seconds to like the 45, 50 seconds. I can go deeper if, if, uh if you know, I'm trying to, or if it's the right conditions, but that's about it. How deep are you typically going? You know, I, you know, when in California, I'm usually going anywhere from like 30 to like 60 feet. Like I'm not really diving deeper than 60 feet in California because it's cold. Uh, but if you go to Florida and you're like, or Hawaii, the water's warmer. So you can dive deeper. You don't have as much weight on you. And you don't have a, you know, a five, seven mil, eight mil wetsuit on. So you can dive deeper. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's all, it's all dependent on really those conditions. Yeah. But it's a lot of fun. If you haven't done it before, it's like one of those, one of those sports that's just, it's addicting and it's, it's so much fun. Yeah. That's one that I keep at arm's reach because I know myself and a bit of addictive personality. I'll just just be headlong into it and holding my breath at random times, passing out during meetings or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just, I just, I have to keep stuff like that at arm's reach. For sure. For sure. But yeah, I'm fascinated with it. I, I spent a lot of time watching the free divers just to like pass time. And then the thought of being able to spearfish to me is really cool. Cause I grew up fishing. I love fishing. Yeah. And I love to be able to 
like be able to feed yourself and your family by whatever you bring in. Yeah, man, there's, there's, there's nothing better than being able to go out and whether it's rod and reel or spearfish and bring home like fresh fish that you enjoy and, you know, give as gifts to your family, you know, and friends, like I, I love it. And the, I've been going to, going to all these, you know, islands off of Southern California, my whole life, like growing up going to Catalina since I was like in diapers. Uh, and then over the last like five, six years, been going to the Bahamas. And, uh, one of my best friends lives in Jacksonville. We tow his boat down to like Southern Florida and we go over to uh, grand K and like the Northern Abacos go out there for like, uh, you know, five to seven days at a time and just fish every day, just like go rod and reel for tuna in the morning and walk in Wahoo. And then in the afternoon go for lobster and hogfish. And it's, it's great. I love it. Yeah. That's not a bad gig, man. Just come back fat and happy and tan. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. A little bit of sun poisoning every once in a while, but it always good stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Preston, man, it was, it was great having you on today. And the way I like to wrap these things up is, um, is there any, any place that anyone can get in touch with you? Are you on any social media or any links that we can post in, uh, in the description? Yeah. LinkedIn is probably the best way. Um, although we're a startup and we have a lot of organic content out there, I really try hard not to be on socials. Um, again, distracting. I'm trying to make sure ours are running as opposed to, you know, scrolling through something for endless minutes. Um, LinkedIn is yeah, definitely absolutely. the best. You know, it's funny you say that I actually have two phones. Uh, one that I, my old phone, I keep all my social on just so it's, it's out in the way and it's not distracting me yeah. in the regular world. Uh, it's too much. There's too much great content out there, frankly. Yeah. yeah. It'd rather be a producer than a consumer. Cool. Well, I'll put the LinkedIn in there and, uh, it was great having you on and I'm stoked. We got to connect. Yeah, Mark, this is great, man. Um, I'll hit you up if I'm in Southern California and maybe we can, I can not die holding my breath. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're ever out here and we could take you out, that would, that would be great. That'd be awesome. Cool. All right, man. Take it easy. Yeah, bud. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you.